Greetings! Welcome aboard the Diecast Enterprise. This is Pags. I'm Foley. And I'm really tired. Well, don't worry, because Ugh. we've got a great episode to review for you today. Oh man, do we ever. It's the last outpost. I'm not even joking, this one's good. <laughs> I'm joking. This episode has been called by a lot of people a disaster. How dare they? This is our first encounter with the Ferengi in Next Gen. We've heard about them. They were trying to set up the Ferengi as, as a threat, as like the new bads of the TNG universe, because they didn't want to reuse the Klingons, which we now have a peace treaty with, or the Romulans. For I can't imagine why they didn't want to use the Romulans, but apparently they didn't. So In synopsis of... After this episode was reduced, the idea of not going with the Romulans, they did 180 on that. Yeah. Frankie were summarily dropped. Yeah. After this episode, <laughs> it was immediately decided that the Romulans would do just fine. They're good bad guys, yeah. Let's yeah. go with them. Because the Ferengi in this episode are absurd. They don't start off so bad. Things go really go wrong. Um, for Once them. again, your alien images shock us. That was great. It was. I love that line. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the Ferengi are... Wow. Okay, well, we'll get there. Well, like, I mean, the episode Strap starts in. off fair enough. The Enterprise is chasing after the, a Ferengi vessel, which they've never seen before. The Federation has nothing but third-hand accounts of who the Ferengi are and what they're what they're all about. Exactly. And these Ferengi have stolen something from some planet. Something. It's a T9 energy converter, obviously. Oh, my bad. The Ferengi have stolen a T9 energy converter, and the Enterprise is in pursuit. They uh, pursue them past this planet which then grabs both ships unbeknownst to both ships who think each other are to blame for their predicament yeah the first 10 minutes of the episode maybe more is simply a standoff between the two ships the enterprise thinking the whole time as all their essential systems start to fail energy starts to be drained from at first shields and engines then later life support and their computers are red absorbing yeah. all the information in the systems they think the, the ferengi are doing this the, the ferengi time. yeah they're like oh my god the ferengi's technology must be much more advanced than we have than we thought. Than we thought. Yeah. Shit. Although, it turns out, it wasn't them at all. And the yes. Frangi are sim- in a similar predicament. And assuming that it's the uh, Enterprise that is the cause of their current woes. It's a pretty good piece of comedy. The sudden role reversal as Picard is waiting to surrender to the Ferengi. And the Ferengi talking over the hailing frequencies is like, Enterprise, total surrender is completely unacceptable. And then Picard's all like, Holy shit! They're in the same predicament we are. Oh, Let's fuck with them. Forehead slaps all around. Yeah. And then they proceed to fuck with them. They do a little. Which is great because, you know, I, I love it when Picard's just like, oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah, so they, they try to get the T9 energy converter back right then and there. I guess as it turns out, they really they, the situation with the power drain becomes more serious. Yeah, uh, they're unaware at the beginning exactly how serious their predicament is mm-hmm. until Counselor Troy, in a rare instance where Counselor Troy turns out to be useful and level-headed. She's, got the, one with, she's the one with the answer this time. Yeah, yeah, she's all like, you know, we've spent so much time focusing on the Ferengi that we have failed to take any notice of the planet. And Picard's all like, Bwah. Yeah, so forehead slaps all around. Forehead slaps all around. So then they uh, decide, well, why don't we um, partner up with the Ferengi and beam down to the planet? Maybe see if we can figure out what's going on. Yeah, you apparently know. beaming <laughs> is fine. Even though the lights are going out. Yeah, Oxygen yeah. is low. Whatever, so they beam down. And on the surface of the planet, we get a really great moment with Riker all alone, who stands on a piece of rock in front of a green screen. It's beautiful. And shouts out, Anybody! Anybody! 
beautifully rendered acting baby yeah as anyone who knows anything about trek probably knows who armin shimmerman is especially if you've watched deep space nine or if you're a hater like jeff and you hate klingons probably ferengi as well you probably don't know who he is he went on to play quark you know the most prominent ferengi actor in the star trek universe and he's here in this very first episode as one of the ferengi that are in the he landing is party one of the originators of the ferengi and in fact uh has said that he took the role of quark basically as penance as an in an effort to undo the damage that he did to the ferengi in this first portrayal it's really not his fault it's not his fault he was directed to act the way he did but the ferengi more or less act like chimpanzees yeah the time they're down chimpanzees the with a penchant for interpretive dance a lot of, lot of arm waving a yeah of, a lot of gesticulating it's pretty nuts yeah I can't believe you called me out in front of everybody you deserved the, it you deserved you know, it are we gonna throw that, down about this that, right now that was private dinner conversation what <laughs> alright never mind just edit it out no 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 that you hate Klingons <laughs> God, you're such a dick. Hey, Scott, I'm still in shock about it, yeah, frankly. Well, again, just you wait. I'm still right. waiting for my opportunity to tell everybody about your mix-up with you the uh, position of the ready room. Anyways. Let's not... Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That. Yeah, that's right. That. That's what happens when you throw down, son. Ready room. Just take a left of the nearest <laughs> Klingon. Find it. Anyway, we'll get into that at some later date, I'm sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll have, like, a Royal Rumble episode. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's all these different primary species in the Star Trek universe, and you rank Klingons at the bottom. That's, that's fine. I just don't like Klingons. I'm sorry. There you said it. You feel better about it now. Now that it's out in the open? <laughs> it's it's not like I keep it a secret. I'm just... Listen, we'll discuss this another time all in right, the Klingon right. episode. Well, but... we'll get back to the Ferengi. Let me just say, uh, I love DS9, but I, I love what the Ferengi become. They never really hit their stride in TNG for the most part. Yeah, TNG, the Ferengi were pretty weak, but I love the Ferengi, and I love what DS9 did for for them because DS9 changed the Ferengi from Flintstone fur wearing... Well, they dropped that. This is basically the only episode where they're wearing furs. No, well, I mean, there's another uh, Ferengi episode coming up in season one where they're... They still get dri- the furs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Sadly, though, they don't have the sweet hollow whips. Oh, that's true. Or that's true. laser whips. So they, they, for some reason, don't have phasers. Basically, every other species will ever see in Star Trek. They have these crazy blue things. They're supposed to be a, like a whip, but it shoots a beam of energy out, which stuns. Yeah. The crew. Like everything with the Ferengi this episode, they're just a little too silly. It's probably good they got rid of them. Yeah. But they make for good humor anyway. The makeover of the Ferengi in Deep Space Nine was brilliant. I actually forgot. When's the last time I watched this episode? I don't know. Ten years ago at least. I forgot actually how they immediately establish that the Ferengi are, their primary thing is commerce and trade. So, I mean, even... They're all about the profit. All about the profit. That's established right away. And Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. Especially from what we heard in the previous episodes where they hinted at them sort of being cannibalistic or just savage. Yeah. Yeah. They're really not like that. No, and it's basically the only trait that's really carried through into the uh, Deep Space Nine portrayal of Ferengi. Yeah. Everything else about the Ferengi as they appear in this first season of Next Gen is basically forgotten. But the profiteering side of the Ferengi and their... I mean, we haven't been introduced to the uh, rules of acquisition yet. Not yet. But I'm glad they stuck with that particular uh, aspect of the Ferengi uh, in their later iteration. Love it. Is this also the fairly sweet looking Ferengi ship. Do we ever see it again? There's one other episode of Next Gen where we see it. There's a little baby version of it, that science vessel, where they go through the yeah. the temporarily stable. I love that. Home. My favorite moment in that episode is the looks on their face when the Oh fuck! You know, they, re- they came back 
in another episode. I know. As in Voy- Voyager. Yeah, I know. Yeah. That episode was kind of gold when yeah. the Voyager comes across a planet where these two Ferengi have basically set themselves up as god emperors. Awesome, yeah. I mean, of course the Ferengi would do that. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's, I guess that's what's great about them is like, you know right away that's, like you just said, like, of course they did that. They established really well what it is to be a Ferengi and what makes them tick. And, I mean, I guess part of that is they had seven seasons of DS9 to do that. But. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, when we do eventually get to the crossover point when DS9 starts airing at the same time, yeah. are we going to start reviewing DS9 as well? I don't know. I don't know how you feel about that. I, I'd be down because I've actually never watched every episode of DS9. Oh, man. So. DS9 is great. I actually Some just rewatched the pilot for DS9. It's a little, little. It's a little rough. It's, I mean, it's pretty good. And Major Kira, she got a haircut in the next episode. She gets a lot of haircuts. In episode one, Major Kira is looking awesome. I don't remember her hair first episode. Uh, does it change as much as Worf's hair changed? Oh, considerably more. What did you think in this episode uh, when, you know, Worf was part of the away team that went down to the Yeah, planet. yeah, and when his, his hair, hair was got, loose? Yeah, it got all blown out and yeah, windswept? Yeah. No! For battle come to me! I love that, I love <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, he was looking fierce. Do so you think that... But not fierce like warrior fierce, but fierce as in like pride parade fierce. I thought he looked great. Do you think that's a little too... Why doesn't he just wear his hair like that all the <laughs> he time? Like, start? It's just too... I don't know. I think he would just be too Klingon Fabio if he left his hair like that. Maybe. I guess there's no wind. He, he, he needs he, a wind machine on he, the bridge. Yeah, he, to, he, like, would, he would stop wearing his uniform and start wearing pirate shirts. Like open, big, yeah, yeah, big, frilly collars, big open billowy, chests. Uh, big billowy shirts. That's not how Klingons roll. You'd know. know that if you didn't hate them. <laughs> hey, listen, the reason I dislike Klingons is because I know them so well. Whatever, whatever. Listen, I am sorry, alright? Okay. Everybody... I'm sorry. I just don't care for Klingons. You're entitled to your opinion. Exactly. You know? I mean, Klingons are very, very popular. They will survive without me. It's true. You're missing out. My distaste for Klingons is not going to hinder anyone else's enjoyment of them in any way. Okay. So, I guess we should talk a little more about this episode, I suppose. No, no, no. Um, Portal? Portal 63, the guardian for the Takan Empire, the long-dead civilization, which at one point had a population in the trillions. But apparently a single supernova wiped them out. Yeah, they have a trillion I'm, people in, like, one s- solar system? I think what we're supposed to assume is that the supernova wiped out the heart of the uh, Takan Empire. Like, the Takan Empire was ruled from a single point, like a single sure. planet. Presumably the planet Takan. And when Takan's sun went supernova yeah. and wiped out their system... Major bummer, by the way. Yeah, that sucks. Uh, the rest of the Takan Empire just disintegrated, basically. Probably over long many millennia yeah. i suppose i mean they did say they they died out six hundred thousand years ago if something similar were to happen in the federation i mean earth for all intents and purposes is the home planet of the federation mm-hmm. or, i mean as much i'm sure there are other members of the federation would object to that but let's go with it i think the federation would probably survive just yeah fine. I guess well, it's not I, an I, empire I, in the same way yeah exactly it's uh i imagine it's just a different political structure right we don't have much of a clue but they, see the guardian there like he comes off as like a real like benevolent kind of guy a lot of wisdom but yeah, like, yeah. what kind of empire was the Dagon empire sounds like they were real hegemony yeah hegemony? hegemony i don't know never been clear on how to pronounce that word most recently i've heard it pronounced hegemony it's a character from harry potter isn't it yeah that's hermione i, know. Uh, I get jokes oh harry potter gag 
yeah. That's for you, Kim. I went there. I'm sure you're listening. You're not listening. I don't know. We don't really get any insight. But the dude, he appears to be able to read everyone's minds. Yeah. The makeup is pretty bad on Portal. He is... He's supposed to be old. I know, but, I mean, it looks really fake, and his wig is really bad. Like, I mean... Yeah, it looked like... Um, <laughs> it looked like, you know, those mad scientist wigs where it's yes, like... Did you it's get... got the bald cap yeah. forehead part and then the hair. That's exactly what it was, basically. Yeah, it was that quality for sure. It was not impressive. Yeah, this is one of those episodes where they're trying to create this version of Riker where Riker is like this well-read poet, scholar, warrior <laughs> kind of deal. You know, sure. it's like he's a student of Sun Tzu and... We hear they still teach that at the Academy. Apparently. Picard likes Sun Tzu too. They also gave us another tip of the hat to the fact that Picard is French and loves France. He sure does. I still love that moment when Data suggests that French is an ancient... An archaic dead language. <laughs> yeah, an archaic dead language. French and Picard's just all bluster. He's outraged. What? It's kind of fun. Speaking of data, inexplicably in this episode, for reasons unknown, he has a Chinese finger trap. They're like, really dialing out the comic relief angle for data. Yeah. I there's, still there's looking a for a balance where, here. Like, they're trying to figure out how they're going to uh, deal with this whole force field thing from the planet. And for some reason, data has a Chinese finger trap while he's talking to the captain. Captain. Right. I don't know where he got it. Like, I don't think that's ever explained. Like, did I miss... No, he just walks in with it. The thing is, like, there were two children in that room before they walked in there. That was so, later, though. That, that, oh, was that a different scene? The first time we see it is the first time they go into the conference room, right when they're still trying to figure out what's going on with the Ferengi threat, and Data just sits down with the goddamn finger trap. When they first learn about the existence yeah, of the Takan like, Empire. They, he's they, trying to give them a report on the Takan yeah. Empire why they, with his fingers in the finger trap. It's weird. Well, yeah, like... There's I mean, no explanation for why Data has this thing he just does in an obvious allegory for the situation that the Ferengi and the Enterprise find themselves in the ships are basically the fingers in a finger trap we we didn't explain the Takan energy trap that they're in whenever they try to create any movement it it pushes back basically it creates an equal and opposite force to keep them held in place exactly so it's like trying to pull your fingers out of a finger trap you pull away the finger trap you pull with both fingers at the same time I kind of wondered about that though yeah like, he's a super strong android, right? Like, he could have just torn that paper apart, basically. Well, what would have happened? Would the taper have torn first? Or if it were made of strong enough materials, would he have just ripped his own fingers off his hands? <laughs> I imagine that their safety uh, algorithms in Data's... Maybe, but like... ...positronic network to prevent him from damaging his own fingers the way we would be unable to do that. But at the same time, right, in his never-ending quest to search what it is to be human and to explore being more human, couldn't he turn those safety protocols off? And again, what's the real danger for him in ripping his own finger off? He can just stick it back on. Yeah. See, the thing is, we can't turn our safety protocols off. But people do it all the time. It acts of bravery, Jeff. <laughs> That's a little different than like, <laughs> if <laughs> I had my fingers in a finger trap and I pulled as hard as I could. My nerve endings and pain receptors would override all right. my yeah. brain telling my arms to pull as hard as I can. They'd be like, no, that's hurt. No, no, stop. I suppose so. There's actually not a whole lot to this episode. I think, though, that Data could totally do this for shock oh, yeah. value. Like, when they're playing poker all the time, if you need somebody to, like, upset someone's poker face at the table, he could just nonchalantly, like, rip his arm off and put it on the table. I wager my arm. Everything on the table is uh, in play. Yeah. That'd be something. He could do it. I wonder when the first instance of poker is going to come up. I think it's season two, because I know Pulaski <laughs> plays poker. Yeah, when did they come up with that sort of weird translucent hat for Data? Oh, 
I know when the first poker episode is. Do you really? I do. It's Measure of a Man. Really? Are you sure? Yeah, because in that episode, that's Data's first poker game. Okay. Because Data is all confident that having read every book about poker ever, that he's going to be just fine at it. And then Riker just bluffs him out. It's only later that he comes up with strategies that aren't in the book, because no other human poker player would ever consider just detaching their genitals and putting them on the table to throw (laughs) Riker off. That's the thing. Like, And he uses that analogy when he's talking to that dude. I had read everything about poker and found myself yeah. well prepared for the experience. I put it all on the table. But then I played poker and it's it's a totally different experience than reading about poker. Mm, you know, yeah. and this is his analogy for his concerns about whether his memories can be transferred into a computer. The factual information of my memories, yes, but perhaps the flavor of the moment will be lost. Blah, blah, blah. That's the first poker episode. Pretty sure. 99% sure. Well, we'll find out. We will find out. Anyway, the Takan dude, the Guardian, Portal 63, I guess, in the end, decides that Riker, as a representative of humans, humans seem okay. He thinks the humans are pretty legit. He thinks the Ferengi are kind of lame. The Ferengi are basically at this point, exactly <laughs> what Q accused humanity of being in Encounter at Farpoint. For some reason at this point, the Ferengi just give up on regular communication, more or less, and are just, <laughs> just jumping up and dance. down. Again, like chimpanzees. Like, yeah. It's embarrassing. But yeah, it's interesting, I think, that uh, the Ferengi are very definitely the embodiment of what Q accused humanity of being in Encounter at Firepoint. A grievously savage race. Yeah, a, a dangerous, savage child race. We also get, I can't remember if they say it directly, but there's definitely the implication made that the Ferengi, while they possess a technological level that's similar to that of Starfleet, that they might have traded and acquired it? Like, they didn't yeah. develop it themselves? I don't know where that comes up or whether it's coming up later, but I certainly remember as a kid that that was the distinct impression that I was under right. was that the Ferengi had acquired technology beyond their abilities. And also uh, they had no problem giving it to other yeah, races. That they're all about profit, right? So they're perfectly happy to give other races... I guess this is supposed to stand in stark contrast to the Federation's primary directive. Yeah, their, their non-interference prime directive, which, yeah. as we discussed last episode, is a very nebulous thing and not very well defined because the threshold of it's where we... Yeah, exactly. Why do you think... Okay, Okay, look, so the Ferengi seem to value... They even mention it. Like, oh, the communicators that the Federation... The, the they're, made of gold. they're made of gold. So they value gold as being valuable. But I love gold. 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 I don't know. I'm Precious no, I'm metals. No, I'm no scientist, but I guess gold would be rare on most planets. It might yeah. be more plentiful on some than others. I mean, part of what makes it valuable is its scarcity on Earth. Yeah. I guess maybe. It's interesting that that would be it's the, strange the because thing that they would seek. Or maybe it's just one of many things they consider. The thing about precious metals of any variety is that, by and large, they're only valuable because we assign them value. Well, they're, they're, like, they're lots just of things have like yeah. unique properties yeah. that are cool you know and scarcity would be they, yeah. they would be similarly although not identically scarce on other solar systems the thing about gold for us is that we don't Probably. value gold because of its utility it's pretty. because it's pretty exactly you know we we assign an arbitrary value to gold which is when you come right down to it a mostly worthless mineral on this planet like it's not a terribly useful metal gold connectors on various electronic equipment fine but not truly 
necessary. I suppose so. It's not like gold conducts better than any other metal. It does not. It's it's good at all those things, but it is not so good at all of those things that one could justify the value of gold. Right. So yeah, like the Frankie decided that this is something they consider valuable. Apparently, we don't we don't know what their currency is. Well, I guess later we find out it's gold yeah, pressed latinum. Gold pressed latinum. One thing. I don't know. I don't know what gold pressed latinum is. Well, yeah, that's I don't know. They kind of explain it on DS9. I haven't watched DS9. It's not part of this discussion. Did they produce a book of the rules of acquisition? They totally did. I thought so. Yeah. In my mind, I see a book that I... looks like the meaning of Lyft. Except uh, it's the rules of acquisition, like a pocket rules of acquisition. It's a pocket guide, of course. Yeah. It's got Frankie's on the cover. I'll, I can lend it to you sometime. Oh, good. I was actually still kind of thinking along the arbitrary value of precious metals. And specifically, this feeds into your favorite topic. I was going to go The replicators. Let me talk about food for another 20 minutes. <laughs> no, no. We've already had two episodes of replicator talk. I can Brief- do more. I can do more. I know. You've got so much more on the replicator. No, but let- just touching briefly. Why can't they replicate gold? Why can't they replicate diamonds? They, they should be able to. The uh, only reason that they can't replicate this stuff is because the script says no. Well, we're never given any good, clear reason why. I mean, it doesn't make sense, really. Yeah, exactly. You'd think anything that could be beamed should be replicatable because beaming something is replicating something. Oh, like, that's an interesting topic. Because that's what beaming is. So you're not sending the component molecules of you down to the planet? No, no. You're, you don't uh, think so? Well, I mean, they've discussed this. Is there like an official explanation of this? My understanding... When you're dematerialized on the Enterprise and you're sent down to the planet, the molecules that made up you on the Enterprise are just flushed into space and then they're new basically, ones are, are harnessed yeah, to recreate you on the planet. They're basically obliterated. Me? So like every time you step into the transporter, you die and a copy of you, whoa, exact whoa, in every detail, whoa. appears on the planet. Really? Yeah, yeah. Like the ethics of transporting is kind of like a, a big debate in, in the Trek community. Really? Because... Oh, yeah, yeah. You should, people like, uh... you should look into this. It's fascinating stuff. Because it's not like there's a beam on the Enterprise that's zapping particles down onto the planet to be reassembled. Why not? That's what I always assumed is going on. No, no, no. Are we sure? Yes. Because think very, about it. It's very prestige. Yeah, so yeah. basically an exact duplicate of you, exact down to like the subatomic level, is yeah. recreated on the planet. And the original you is obliterated. That's why Riker has... A transporter twin. Well, that's like I don't know. Because could have beamed down the original particles and then like and, also and then the got particles got ones. split. No, no. not split. They they needed new ones or they duplicated them somehow. No, it's it's know. specifically because that's how the transporter works. Anything that can be beamed should technically be replicatable, which is why last episode it didn't make any sense that they couldn't replicate that vaccine because well, they beamed the vaccine aboard. Therefore, the vaccine is replicatable because they just did it. They just did it. I don't know. Science! transporter is troubling it is there's a lot of ethically uh scary stuff happening in the in the trek universe that we uh, never really considered it's true what do we the, make it so like the easy fact to... that the computer can basically create sentient people on the holodeck wait are you going with the moriarty thing now or are we talking about like moriarty or later on the doctor forget but... even that though i mean you're duplicating like you're, i guess if you're transporting someone you're duplicating them why not just make a ship full of the same person picard 
Picard seems like a pretty good Starfleet uh, officer. Why don't we just have a ship a full of Picards? Good question. Why can't they just duplicate data? I don't know. If they can beam him, yeah, you're right. If you can beam something, yeah, you can... exactly. You know, like they yeah. say, oh, we can't duplicate his positronic brain. Yes, you can because you beam him all over mm. the place. This is sketchy. I'm going with the transported component is, atoms theory. This is heavy next level shit, my friend. You're in the prestige camp. I'm in the obliteration and recreation side of the transporter debate here. When you step on that transporter <laughs> pad, you are being murdered. You are being murdered. It's a murder beam. And you are being recreated on the planet. And then when you beam back up, they're murdering the new version of you they just made and recreating a new new version of you back on the ship. So to put this in computer terms, transporting basically is is cut paste. Yes. But what happened to Riker was inadvertently cut copy paste. Mm -hmm. So when you're doing replicating, all the information is already in the computer. What's the difference then? There's no difference. There is no difference. If you can beam it, you can replicate it. That should be the rule. There's no reason why that can't be the rule. It's so troubling. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What's with the distance limit on transporting then? Well, the real answer is well, that if they... The real answer, right? The, the real answer is that if they don't put a limit on it, they wouldn't need a ship. And without a ship, well, yeah. your show is kind of boring. Whatever, you just have the ship of all Picards. I don't know what the distance limit is in next gen. Sometimes they're able to do it when the ship is moving. Like, it's really At problematic in, in the new movies. They have trans-warp beaming, yeah, yeah. which does basically negate the necessity for ships at all. Khan beams from Earth to Kronos. That's fucking ridiculous. It's just not the way things are done. No. It's just not no. as fun. The show doesn't isn't as fun if you don't have a <clears> ship. <throat> and it's also not as fun if you can just clone people at will with the transporter. Or if they die, you just bring yeah. them back with a transporter. Like, a lot of Star Trek functions on, we're just going to assume this is how things are. Well, they talk about the and pattern buffer, right? Yeah. Like, things can only stay in the pattern buffer for a short amount of time. Unless you're Scotty, in which case it's yeah. like 100 years. Well, Scotty's a fucking genius. But they clear out the pattern buffer. Maybe they do that because, you know, I, we've seen time and time again, in the world of Star Trek, they don't follow the rule of if it's possible we'll do it it's more like they will deny themselves certain things because that doesn't jive with what their like mentality is on things so mm -hmm. maybe they could clone everybody and they could reincarnate yeah. people once they die as long as they've got their well, pattern we, and we the know cloning they, just, they just don't do that because that's yeah that would destroy society they, they, they have like it. an ethical yeah. problem with it Same there's with an episode coming up in season two with a whole planet of clones yeah but what, what are they doing they have this shitty cloning process but they also yeah. transporting like why aren't they just yeah why don't they just do that yeah those guys are clearly idiots. Yeah. Well, I mean, we know how the transporters would actually work, but, you know... Do we? Well, yeah, I, I just told you how they work. They kill you oh, and okay, then recreate you. But for the sake of Star Trek, the show, they kind of ignore that fact. Although, they do cover it a little bit in that episode where they go over Barclay's fear of using the transporter. So wait a minute. What about if you beam someone into space? So you're saying that the transporter basically well, then you killed them twice. No, 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 no. But you're beaming them in a space suit. Yeah. So you're not you're not just murdering them <laughs> for the sake of just being a dick. Okay. This is legit. So they're ready to like I don't know for some reason they can't just exit out of the ship. But you need to beam them out into space in a suit. Now you're telling me that the transporter makes use of component molecules that it can find at the landing site. Well, what if there aren't the necessary molecules available? It's not using molecules. It's converting energy. It needs matter. Yeah, it's converting energy into matter. So oh, it's, it's pure matter. Okay. It, yeah. Right. So it's it's not sending molecules. It's sending energy to that specific point in space. Which 
that beam just condenses in, into matter at that point? Well, see, that's the magic that's part, right? Are, you know, yeah. like we have to function on the notion that come the 23rd century, they have figured out how to convert energy into matter and yeah. vice versa. That's what allows for the matter energy transporter. I guess so. Yeah. But the technical downside of this is that because you're sending energy and not matter to a particular point in space and then turning it into matter, you are not using the same matter as before. You're recreating it. So every time you beam, you are being obliterated. And when you're reconstituted... So I guess you could, again, to go back to the recycling notion, I suppose you could say that they're converting the matter on the platform into energy and that same energy is being sent to where Yeah, exactly. And it's rematerializing, but like whatever. Yeah, that's silly. There's no preservation of what was on the platform to down on the planet. Yeah, exactly. So It's I copy. Mean, it is a copy. It, it may be a copy made using the same energy, but that doesn't make it the same matter. Mm. It is new matter reconstituted from energy. I don't like these murder beams. <laughs> so. How does Chief O'Brien feel? Like, he's <laughs> just constantly killing people <laughs> over and over that's and over again, only to bring that, them back so they can die again. That's that's why his face looks like that yeah, on that, in that guy. He's a broken just, man. He is yeah. a broken man. Man, that sucks. <laughs> All right. Kind of blown my mind with that. I'd never really thought about it in that way. I don't know. I don't really know what I thought. Again, just like the, the material gets sent down to the planet and it recombines. Yeah, now you've got something new to think about. Mm. It'll haunt your nightmares. It will a little. On the subject of matter-energy conversion, I recently just saw Tron, the original Tron, in <laughs> yes. the theater. Go on. <laughs> and possibly the greatest thing about that movie is that there's a scene where, for the first time ever, they successfully convert matter into energy and then back again and when they do this yeah. they're so not excited enough about what is in fact the greatest achievement in the history of mankind they have just created matter teleportation and they're all like hey great that's uh that's awesome are you talking about when he gets like zapped into the computer no no before that when they do the orange uh, like there's a scene it's the scene that sets up the laser so that we know later on what the laser does they digitize the orange yeah they digitize the, the orange and then they bring it back you know and like oh there you go and Alan comes down beautiful it's like can it send me to Hawaii and they're like oh yeah but you gotta buy your program 30 days in advance ah and then they leave as if they haven't just made the greatest discovery in the history of mankind and they go to the arcade yeah they go to the arcade to celebrate they're just yeah. burned out from doing it all day yeah. they just want to blossom no, it's just it, I love that scene so much because it's the most ridiculous reaction to the successful uh, yeah. creation of matter teleportation ever can you imagine what it would be like in the lab when somebody actually does it for the first time well, people will lose their shit yeah yeah people would be really excited you know but like, like maybe <laughs> but these guys are just like oh that's great okay you guys go i'm just gonna stay and put some data into the computer you know whatever they're so blasé about it, <laughs> it it's probably my favorite portion of the movie tron as much as i love tron i find that part so ridiculous that was that the first time they got it to work or are they just like showing it no that's the it's the first time they've gotten it to work so oh, like, man. exactly this is like the moment and like ah. Hmm. 
Yeah. Maybe they're just like really, really, really burned out because they've been working on it for like 90 hours straight. It could be. I know, not really Trek here, but I... You just went off the rails right I, in Tron. I'm that's sorry. Okay. It's just oh, fine. like we were on our uh, matter energy okay. uh, kick and I, I felt I needed to throw that in there. Okay, final thoughts. I actually thought this episode was actually decent. Maybe it's not your favorite, but like it actually felt like real Star Trek TNG for the yeah, f- yeah. maybe the first time all the way through. Yeah, the portrayal of the Ferengi for the first time is yeah, definitely a disaster. <laughs> yeah, for for them, and it's it, kind of funny though. Yeah, it is very funny. It was an okay episode. It was better yeah. than all the episodes that have come before it. Yeah, it really was. I really could have used a little more. Um, <laughs> Riker really won over the Guardian pretty quick. Yeah, he really did. Like that could have gone on a little more. It would have felt a little. And more the real. Guardian liked Riker a little too much. Oh, you know, he's a he's a rugged, dashing warrior poet. I think you described oh, him which, as already. Yeah, yeah, which totally reminds me yeah. of the scene when they're like, "Hey, Ferengi, we w- we'd like to have you on the viewer." And the Ferengi's like, "We're not going on the viewer." And it's like, "Well, that's how it's got to be." And they're like, "Okay, can we have you on the viewer too?" And like, if you watch Riker when the oh, Ferengi yeah. make that request, he's got this weird kind of smug smirk on his face you know and, and so, brow furrow as he nods in agreement yeah. like you can almost see it going through his head yeah I look, I look good right now I, I'm, I look good yeah yeah let's do this Stop yeah for, put us up put us up I want them to see this for daddy I want paycheck. them to see this yeah yeah and go oh and then <laughs> when when Data's whispering to Jordy oh my god <laughs> Yankee Trader clarify what is Yankee Trader he heard you. Yeah, of course he heard you, son. Oh. Yeah. Again, they wanted more comedy. <laughs> yeah, Data there. and Jordy whispering about the Ferengi while the Ferengi is on the main viewer, seemingly unaware of the fact that they are directly in front of the main viewer, yeah. which is what sends their image back to the Ferengi. Yeah, then you guys, you can't make jokes in the front row of class, Yeah, guys. exactly. You have to be at the back of the bridge making those snide comics. Like when like Worf's like all like, you know... Mobilized by the damn Ferengi. Grr. Exactly. Exactly. You know? You can't do them at the front of the class. <laughs> Worse passing notes around to the like the random people in those back science studies. Yeah, you know. No one like, even noticed. Natasha Yar looks like she's oh, like she's working, but she's just sending texts over to yeah. Worf's screen and Worf's sending them back. Absolutely. That's what's going on. Take a lesson, Jordy and Data. Okay, back on track. Reaching the end of the track. How would you rate this episode? Are you doing a rating scale for these episodes? Oh, yeah, let's do that. What a good idea. Yeah. Um, what should we rate them on? What's a good star tricky thing? <laughs> how many saucer separations? We- how many uh, uh, rank pips? Oh, yeah. That's, that's good. That's a good idea. Acting uh- ensign. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We can we can therefore do it by rank. Oh, I love it. All right. Um, um I'm going to give this one a I guess a lieutenant. Lieutenant. Junior lieutenant or full lieutenant? A full lieutenant is two, right? Be two filled in one. Yeah. Junior yeah. lieutenant would be like one and a half, right? Like yeah, one I'm, and a yeah, I'm going to go full lieutenant. I'm going to go lieutenant commander. Lieutenant commander, two filled and one unfilled. Yeah, exactly. All right, all right. Might be a little generous, but, you know. That is a little generous, I think. You're basically saying this episode is data. Yeah, I don't know. I'm fine with that. Okay, one lieutenant, one lieutenant commander. There you go. All right, so that was the last outpost. This was Diecast Enterprise. Thank you for joining us. We will see you next week with whatever episode that is. See you later.